Hello again, this is Daniel J. Hogan, and welcome to the Magic of Airy podcast, brought to you by magicofairy.com. In our last episode, Steve and his friends were transported away from Uth, the last human village, thanks to his magical amulet, and started their trek to Tall, the Duckport town. They were once again visited by Istrio, the blue heron mystic. Istrio scolded Steve for causing the destruction of Uth by not doing as he was told. Before leaving the companions, Istrio gave Zero the talking silver swordfish, named Gladius. The living weapon used to belong to Ares' last human king, Donal, but was forgotten about once Donal acquired the Sword of Za. The party quickly realized that centuries of solitude had made Gladius a bit grouchy. You can follow me on Twitter, at Daniel J. Hogan, to keep updated. Steve also has his own Twitter, at Steve Harrier. And we also have a Facebook fan page. Just search for Magic of Ares on Facebook. And now, the next fantastic episode of The Magic of Ares. The Magic of Airy, the podcast, written and produced by Daniel J. Hogan, based on the novel The Magic of Airy by Daniel J. Hogan. To learn more about the novel, please visit magicofairy.com or danieljhogan.com. And remember, Harry is spelled E-Y-R-I. Episode number 22, Duck and Cover. Tal was a sailing and shipping town located in a large bay of the Rock Sea on the west coast of Erie. Duck people owned and ran most of Tal, and its ships. The moonlight illuminated the bay as the party entered the city, and the sight was breathtaking to the newcomers. The twin moons of Erie... One round, the other square, reflected brilliantly in the clear bay water. The buildings were old, but sturdy-looking. Most were made out of red-orange bricks. The rest were constructed out of dark-colored wood. Shops, restaurants, and other places of business populated the town's busy center. What are we going to do here, exactly? Asked Steve. He was ready to collapse after walking to Tall, following escaping Fiak Ra and his warriors in the village formerly known as Uth, the last human village. We need to find a ship to take us to Dragon's Well, wherever that is, Zeroth said as they walked the duck-filled streets of Tall. Hundreds of short duck people waddled past them. Most of the ducks were barely up to Steve or Aero's waist. Zeroth and Uncle Shameless easily towered over the little citizens. While the ducks could talk just like Era and Zeroth, some would make quacking sounds while talking, even using it to replace words, as Steve witnessed while passing a pair of duck merchants. Rick, you old quack. How the quack are you? Eh, you know how it is, Duluk. Same quack, different quack. I just got this new quack of an assistant. Oh, he's that quack? Zaz Beak, yes. That quack wouldn't know his quack from a quack. <laughs> That's a quack. How's your quack? Doogee? Oh, she migrated to her mother's. Steve covered his ears and started mumbling to himself. Get me out of here, 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 get me out of here. Uncle Shameless found it difficult to maneuver through the sea of little duck people, and as he stopped to take a drink of wine, a mother duck and several ducklings walked through his legs. Uncle Shameless looked down at the tiny progression underneath him, and then looked at his wineskin. 
He tucked the wineskin away. And just where are we going to find someone to take us to Dragon's Well? Asked Steve, secretly wondering what would happen if he threw a slice of bread in the middle of the crowd of ducks. I might be able to help you with that. Mud! Steve cried, recognizing the duck that had helped him and Uncle Shameless escape the dungeon in Ox Venator. Mud the duck waddled up to Steve and shook his hand. He was still wearing the same stained bartender's apron as before. Mud bowed to Era and Zeroth, but gave a nervous wave to Uncle Shameless. My cousin has a ship, and he might be able to help you. But first, you should all get some rest. Mud led the tired party to the Lighthouse Inn, the oldest and tallest building in Tall. It sat right in the middle of the bay, close to the water's edge. As its name suggested, it was an inn, but it was also Tall's lone lighthouse. The bay was large enough to confuse sailors on unclear nights, and there were many rocky spots that needed to be avoided. The Lighthouse Inn was Tall's most famous landmark, and it was renowned by many. It was so popular that it was a standard fixture in most sea shanties, including the very popular The Light That Never Goes Out and the very not popular Show Me The Way. The inn section of the lighthouse was made of orange bricks, like most buildings in Tall, and had many curved windows. Spires adorned the tops of the roof and windows. The lighthouse itself was taller than the inn section and was higher than any other building in Tall. The lighthouse was made of smooth stone and had a large reflecting crystal at the top, an even larger fire pit set underneath the crystal, the source of the light. The crystal had been created by one of the first settlers of Tall. It was the result of a failed attempt to make an artificial sweetener. Thankfully for the party, and especially for Zero and Uncle Shameless, it was one of the few inns that had other species in mind when it was built, so not everything was duck-sized. Mud pushed open the large double front doors and led the group inside. Who have you brought me now, Mr. Mud? Ah, greetings again, Tuga, Mud said to the tiny turtle innkeeper. Tuga stood on her two feet and was about the same height as Mud. She puffed a corncob pipe and wore a yellow ribbon tied in a bow at the back of her leathery neck. This is Tuga. She runs the inn and the lighthouse. What a lovely building! I have heard of your lighthouse, but this is my first time seeing it in person. Thank you. It's been in the family for years. Many a generation of my family have helped guide sailors from the waters of rock using our lighthouse. Tuga, would you kindly take care of these poor folks for the evening? I shall return in the morning to fetch them. They've all had a long walk. It would be my pleasure, Mr. Mud. This way, please. Tuga directed the party with her short turtle arms. She showed them to a large room with several beds. Lay down and get some rest, and make sure to get up early for breakfast tomorrow. Everyone found a bed and fell asleep instantly. Steve slept soundly and dreamed of talking dragons. You are listening to the Magic of Airy podcast, a free audiobook podcast by Daniel J. Hogan. Copies of the original novel can be purchased through magicofairy.com and amazon.com. You can also download a PDF of the entire novel for only $3.75. Visit magicofairy.com for more details. And remember, Airy is spelled... E-Y-R-I. Fiacra lurked in the shadows of his domed throne room. The Hawk King drummed his clawed fingers impatiently in the armrest of his royal seat. 
He had summoned another mystic to his presence, but not just any mystic. This was the elder mystic of Zhu. This mystic was second only to Fiak Ra in the eyes of the followers of Zhu. The elder mystic, Rarlup, was an old, powerful vulture wizard, more powerful than he let the Hawk King know. The throne room doors opened, and in walked the elder mystic. He was a bulky, fat vulture with a bald head and beady eyes. He was escorted by two royal guards, and was led right to the stairs of Fiakra's throne. The oversized vulture kneeled until Fiakra told him to rise. You were told what happened in Uth, correct? You mean, of course, the village formerly known as Uth, the last human village. Rollup replied with a sinister grin that ran along his ancient, crooked beak. I'll have you know that the scribes in the library are not too happy about the new name. They have been working non-stop to update all of the maps in Ark's Venator, not to mention the trouble of having to make such a long name fit. The village formerly known as Uth, the last human village. <sighs> I'll never understand humans. Enough. What are we to do about the boy, since he is protected by that wretched blue heron amulet? Ah, very simple, my lord. Rollup snapped his gnarled, antiquated fingers. A pair of smaller vultures waddled into the throne room, carrying a hefty book. The other mystic pointed to the ground in front of him with a swift jab of a clawed finger. Two smaller vultures kneeled in front of Rarlup with the large book on their backs. The other mystic opened the book and gently flipped through the thin yellow pages. According to this, the amulet will always protect him from harm. Irritated, Fiakra slammed the butt of his spear into the ground. Patience, O oh favorite of Zoo, the other mystic said in a cynical tone. He pointed to another passage. There is a way to be rid of him. Go on. The blue heron amulet, while filled with the magic of the eagle goddess Zah, will not work on ground held by Zoo. Why? I know not, my lord. I imagine it has something to do with one's power cancelling the others out. Just how the sword of Zah is, pardon me, was the only weapon that could defeat you, Majesty, and vice versa. Fiakra began to smile within the shadows as the Elder Mystic continued. So, all you have to do is bring the boy back to Ark's Venator, and then you can destroy him. The Elder Mystic slammed the book shut, the force of which caused one of the tiny vultures to fall flat on the ground, with the book landing on top of his head. Excellent work. You are dismissed. Rala bowed and exited the throne room along with his two smaller vulture aides. As the Elder Mystic of Zoo walked down the Hall of Accomplishments, he thought about sacrificing the boy to Zoo himself. Perhaps then he would be powerful enough to topple Fiakra and claim the Spear of Zoo as his own. Unala! Fiakra bellowed from his throne. His one-winged second-in-command fell into the room from one of the side doors, where he had been eavesdropping on Fiakra and Rollup's conversation. You, you, you called for Unala, mighty one? Fiakra spread his massive wings and swooped down from his throne. He landed near Unala, causing the floor to shake. Old friend. Spread word that the boy is to be brought back to Ark's Venator, alive. Offer a reward, a large one. 
Unala thought for a moment, trying to do the math in his head. Unala will have to check with Kingdom Finance. He is not sure how much we could offer. Fiakra glared at Unala. <laughs> but, but Unala is certain he could move some numbers around to make it fit into the budget, y- your majesty. Good. Now, prepare search parties to go after the boy. Send one in each direction and make it known that anyone in the kingdom can claim the reward. Anyone? Anyone. Unala bowed his head in agreement. I will lead the search party for the West. I will find the boy, no matter where I have to search. Fiakra continued his restless pacing as his rant about finding Steve grew more feverish. However, Unala was not listening. An idea sparked in the wingmaster's head. Majesty, perhaps you should not go searching for this, uh, the boy person. Insulted, Fiakra spun on his taloned heels to face his old friend. What? Unala gulped and held up his hands. He knew that the Hawk King was not fond of being accused of weakness. What what Unala means to say is, um, um, perhaps it might be too dangerous for your majesty? Fiakra narrowed his flaming eyes at the wingmaster, creating an unnatural tension in the room. Are you implying that I cannot handle a child? <laughs> of course not, favorite of Zoo, um, uh, scourge of the owls, um, uh, Bane of man, said Unala, hoping to quell his king's rage by calling him by a few of his favorite titles. It is not the child that concerns Unala. It is the magic protecting him. The Hawk King took a deep breath and let out a loud huff, suggesting that Fiakra realized he had a point. The, the, um, uh, incident at the village formerly known as Uth, the last human village, is but one example of the... Power protecting him, continued Unala, knowing he was treading on thin ice by referencing the Hawk King's failure to capture the boy. The last thing Unala wants to see is your majesty put in danger. Please, allow Unala to go in your place. The Hawk King paced back and forth even more impatiently, thinking over Unala's words. He came to a stop next to the one-winged warrior and let out a loud, irritated sigh. Perhaps you are correct, old friend. (laughs) You humble Unala with your kind words, majesty. Unala was filled with tremendous glee, which he did his best to hide. Unfortunately, his best was not very good at all, and Unala stood there giggling uncontrollably. I shall arrange transport for you, said Fiakra, entering the pool of light pouring in from the hole in the rotunda's roof. Unala did not want transport arranged for him. He had been waiting to unveil his own invention, and this was the prime opportunity. That will not be necessary, Majesty. Unala has his own... No. You will take the transport I'll arrange for you. It shall also aid in your search. Unala bowed respectfully, but cursed to himself. What was that? Uh, um... Nothing, Majesty. Will that be all? No. 
I want you to take those two idiots from the front gate with you. They talked to the boy and have seen him. They may be of use to you. Unala mumbled something along the lines of, That'll be the day. What? On my way, Majesty. Unala scurried out of the throne room, leaving the Hawk King standing alone in the pool of moonlight. Fiacra looked up through the rotunda's large hole at the two moons of Eri. You haven't won yet, Fiacra said hatefully as he reached up with a clawed hand and pretended to crush the glowing moons. Okay, you were right. Kaz, the Swanton warrior, confessed to his Hawken partner, Remit outside the front gate of Daraga. About what? Remit asked as he leaned against his spear. Kaz held up the blindfold Remit had lent him the night before. It worked. You were right. I told you that blindfold worked wonders. It blocks out annoying light from the wall of fire. What about the earplugs? Um, those were earplugs? Yes. Oh, I thought I was supposed to eat them. No, you put those in your ears. That's why they call them earplugs. Well, they certainly plugged something up. A look of disgust came over Remit's face. I don't even want to know, but this is great. Now that you know they work, we can start working together. Yeah, I would like to, uh, ingest in your company. Invest? Excellent. After our shift, we can go down to Wheezy's House of Pies and work out the details. I... A pair of horrible screeches cutting through the night air interrupted Remit. Look! Pyrex! Above the wall of fire, two Pyrex flew out into the night sky. They circled around and headed towards the two guards. It looks like they are dragging something behind them. Remet spotted a great chariot being pulled by the two large Pyrex. Several chains ran from collars around the necks of the fiery beasts, connecting them to the chariot. Whoever is driving that chariot is sure having a hard time keeping it level, Remet said as the chariot swung madly through the air. The Pyrex eventually landed and walked towards the two guards, dragging the chariot with them. The chariot stopped in front of Remet and Kaz, and Unala turned to face the pair, towering above them from within the chariot. Come with Unala, gate guards Kramit and Remet. Unala narrowed his eyes and glared at Remet. Kaz leaned over to his partner. Does this mean we're not going to Weezy's house of pies? This concludes today's episode of The Magic of Airy. Make sure to join us again next time. Will Mud's cousin agree to transport Steve to Dragon's Well? Will Unala find Steve and his friends? Will he ever get Remit's name right? Find out in the next exciting episode of The Magic of Airy. Production date of this podcast was March 11th, 2010. Help support this podcast by using the PayPal donate button on the website. The Magic of Airy, the podcast. Written and produced by Daniel J. Hogan. This podcast was produced in GarageBand and Audacity on a Mac. Some sound effects and music are provided by freesound.org. Other sound effects and music provided by GarageBand. For more information or to buy a copy of the original novel, please visit magicofairy.com or danieljhogan.com. And remember, Airy is spelled 
E-Y-R-I. And as always, thanks for listening.